0: Now, let's get on with the show.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. This is CJ Wolf with Healthicity. And today, I have a guest, Dave Paulson, who is a psychiatrist. And I'm really excited to talk to Dave about mental health. Welcome, Dave.
0: Uh, Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: Yeah, I appreciate your time. At Healthicity, we've been focusing a little bit on some mental health issues and both in podcasts and in webinars that we've been doing. So always make sure to, to check the Healthicity resources page where we have recorded webinars, blog posts, e-briefs, those sorts of things. If if mental health is an area that you or your organization uh, practices in, we'd love to have you participate in, in those conversations. So, uh, And Dave, before we get started, I will always like to have my guests... Uh, share a little bit about themselves um, as much or as little as you want. If you'd like to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about what you do, uh, and then we'll jump into some of our questions for today.
0: Okay, thank you, CJ. Yeah, so uh, let's say I'm a psychiatrist. I uh, was trained uh, in medical school at the University of Utah and then went to residency there at the University of Utah, and then I proceeded after residency to work at a few different places, a residential treatment center, um, at a university-based counseling center. And then I started a private practice, you know, at the same time, um, all as well as working at um, one of the hot local hospitals. Yes. And so I was doing four different things at one time. And then I eventually um, have just narrowed that down to doing my private practice and, and then also working at the hospital, doing on-call work. So. Sure.
1: Great. So you're, seeing, you're dealing both with kind of chronic issues as well as some acute issues, probably. Is that right?
0: yes exactly yeah
1: excellent well great well um dave i wanted to start off just kind of by asking you know and i think i'd love to hear your thoughts on this too as things have have progressed in in healthcare i think mental health is becoming more acknowledged as you know as as a need and making sure that people are getting mental health care as well as you know kind of this physical care that is traditionally what people think about and I think some of the stigma with some mental health issues is starting to go by the wayside a little bit. If you you know if you look back twenty or thirty years to, uh, compared to today, um, and so I think it, it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would think that people are probably seeking out mental health experts like yourself uh, more and more. And with that in mind, my first question really is, you know, what can patients do for themselves to improve treatment and outcomes? You know, there's a lot that you do as a professional, but just like any, you know, disease or condition, if I'm a diabetic, I have to be watching my diet and exercise and and medications and those sorts of things. What can we as individuals and as patients do, what can we do to help our mental health and improve outcomes from your perspective?
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot more demand, it seems like, for mental health services. You know, there's just a lot of need and... um, and sometimes I wonder if it's just that the stigma is gone a little bit or if, if what's going on in our society is just making our mental health worse. So I'm not sure what's pointing yeah. exactly. But there seems to just be like, yeah, an increasing like need. And as I've thought about it, I think there definitely are issues that have come up, you know, like over time. I think that, um, I mean, I rem- recall in, in residency, um, there was some talk about how you know, the incidence of depression was going up and anxiety issues and, you know, other issues were increasing. And um, there was some talk at the time, at least uh, some ongoing research that there was just a lack of social connectedness, you know, that was going on. And, Right. Yeah, essentially, like especially in in Western you know society, or, you know there, there's just a little bit more of a desire to like leave your family and right. become independent, and then you're considered to be more successful if you're able to be independent and not be as connected to your family and things like that. And then I think we've just seen more and more of a pull in that direction. You know, like um, you know, just as people are getting more involved in things online and you know, their, you know, social connections are getting diluted out a bit, you know, like with the people in their own household, right, because there's so many other people they're connecting with and, and, um, and then there's still that desire to kind of leave home. And, you know, and I think just, you know, as I've met with people, there's just kind of less and less loyalty to family and and connection with family. And um, so there's just some forces in that way. And I think also sense of connection to community is decreasing as well. And um so I think some of those things may be at play, you know, Especially. and then I don't know, there's just so much to talk about here, you know, like I mean when you're talking about diabetes and like the importance of exercise and good diet and things right. like that, I, I think it's just as important for mental health. Yes, you know, so you know, I think oftentimes people don't recognize that. Right. You know, that you know, there's like a you know, a gut-mind, you know, connection. And so if you've got Issues with your nutrition. And maybe you have more inflammation in your intestinal tract um, that causes more problems with depression, anxiety. You know, and so I, I think people don't kind of recognize that. And then you know, we kind of live in a time, a day and an age where there's just so many addictive food choices out there. Yes. I mean, for these corporations to do well, they've got to like promote, you know, products that people, you know, just can't resist and, (laughs)
1: you
0: know, that kind of thing. And they have some and it's, it's great, but they want more. And, you know, that kind of thing so that they can, the companies can do just as good as the other companies are competing against and their products don't die away or something like that. So,
1: yeah. So it sounds like, you know, from what I'm hearing you say is, you know, connectiveness uh, and connection to uh, family and community might be diminishing a little bit in today's society. And that could have some impact on our mental health, but then also, you know, just taking care of ourselves, right? Like I remember, um, you know, in reading studies that exercise improves mental health just as well as some medications now i don't know if, if those studies are still valid or what your thoughts are on that but it seems like i just remember you know in my early training many many years ago that that exercise was always recommended even if it was like for depression and you're you're treating it with a pharmacologic agent but then you also are always recommending exercise and activity because that seems to boost um, mental health and those sorts of things is that still the case today
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's um for sure the case. The problem that I see is that oftentimes, you know, we'll recommend things like that. Like, oh yeah, let's get some fruits and vegetables, some protein, balance your diet out, let's get some regular exercise. Right. You know, like some regular sleep, you know, things like that, like those self-care kinds of things. Right. And then it's just like really hard for people to implement that, you know, like that's, that's the challenge that I face on a daily basis is somehow helping people to see that there's hope, you know, that if in, in whatever they're stuck on, you know, like whatever's keeping them from doing some of those things, it'll be helpful you know, to kind of like help them to get over those roadblocks so that they can actually like move forward with it. You know, yeah, it,
1: it seems like, you know, it's hard enough for patients who don't have um, mental health issues to do those things, right, <laughs> to, to, yeah. to exercise and eat well. And then when you tack on it, maybe somebody has anxiety or they have depression, they're in kind of, like you said, kind of stuck. And it's hard to get that initial oomph or that initial push, right, to, to get them out of, out of that hole. And, and, it, and it can just be, I, I can just imagine how difficult it can be uh, for some people when they're struggling mentally just to kind of get up. In the, for the day and, and get out and try to do these things. They, they might like cognitively, they might understand those instructions, but motivationally they, they can't do it. Right.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think they're looking for, you know, something to like, just kind of like change their life, you know, and change it yeah. quick, you know, and, yeah. in, in the medicines that we have to provide, I mean, they can oftentimes give people a boost and they're, they're helpful, but kind of like you're saying, it's like, it's kind of neck and neck as far as what the medicines can do versus exercise or, you know, maybe even eating better, you know, things like that. I mean, it's the medicines that we have, they, they take a little while to kick in and the effect, you know, while strong and powerful, it's it's not quite enough to contend with some of these other things, you know, yeah. like if someone's completely neglecting themselves, you know, not getting regular sleep or decent nutrition no physical activity not connected socially right you know among other things or maybe their inner dialogue is just really non-supportive you know highly critical things like that it's just like well what chance do we have you know so so (laughs) what i recommend is more like a full court press where it's like okay let's identify all these areas that you know where you're struggling and where you could be more supportive with yourself And then let's like add in a medicine that makes sense or, you know, like a few medicines that make sense to help you. And then we just got some hard work to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I imagine, you know, the last year and a half, two years with COVID, that may be feeding into maybe anxiety for people. I don't know, job loss, those sorts of things. But I think there's probably two sides to that coin. Like, when COVID hit, you know, I started working more from home. And so I cut out like an hour and a half, two hours of a commute. And so I use that time to like go for walks and I was doing more kind of regular activities. So personally, I know that's anecdotal, but personally COVID I kind of, uh, um, took the opportunity to to be a little bit more active. And I actually feel better. But I can imagine that there are people who are just stressed about, you know, they like things, no- what quote unquote normal is, right? How What have you seen with COVID affecting your patients and maybe just mental health in general?
0: Yeah, I think when it first started, I, I definitely saw that some people were getting out more and, you know, like exercising, being in nature, you know, it just seemed like everyone was just like overcome by the whole thing and just overwhelmed right. by it and in shock. And so they were just like, okay, yeah, you know, maybe I could do some of these other things that could be helpful. Right. And then as it kind of, you know, went on longer. It seemed to me like um, there was just like a little bit more of a devotion to kind of what was going on in social media and the news and, and things like that. And it almost seemed like people were getting a little bit more pushed to extremes, you know, as far as extreme viewpoints you know and then I just started to see like a little bit more like conflict you know just as people were kind of going to like extremes and I guess there's maybe reasons for that like algorithms and artificial intelligence that are just pushing people toward what their interests are you know but so far on that road that they you know when they get together with someone that's been pushed on a different kind of road it's sort of like oh that's a lot of conflict you know and then So I think there's some stress from that, but then, you know, just the whole uncertainty with the virus and, you know, kind of how to deal with that. I mean, I've got some that have had germ phobias before it even started, but then, you know, it just really compounded some of their fears afterwards. and, And instead of, you know, getting more rational about how they deal with germs and things like that, I think, you know, some have gotten more irrational about it. Oh yeah. Um, and then, you know, just all the social isolation, which is, you know, been, you know, part of the pandemic, like that's how you have to deal with a pandemic. I think it's, it's led to, you know, people just not being able to be as connected socially, which, you know, is definitely a risk factor for mental health issues.
1: Yeah. You know, I think before the immunization or the vaccine came out, like I was being very careful not to visit um, elderly parents and, you know, cause I, you know, they're, they're at greater risk. And so I could totally see that, right? That, that we were separated. I I think the vaccine has helped a little bit because both they and I have, have become a little bit more comfortable in, in in those connections, but I can, I can see how, you know, that separation from, from family and, and isolation could, could compound things that are already kind of underlying in, in somebody's condition.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it, it's like this whole kind of feeling like people are more like vectors of disease where they can spread disease to you or you can spread it to someone else. And, right. you know, you could be responsible for the death of someone, you know, that kind of thing to right. somehow inadvertently spread the virus to someone. And it just like really increases the level of stress, you know, yeah. so.
1: Yeah. Do you, uh, that makes me think about like, I don't know, do you have patients who've had COVID? Has it exacerbated, you know, their mental health? The, the actual virus, like the disease itself, has, have, are there mental issues with, the, with COVID itself that you've seen, or is that not an area that you deal a lot with?
0: Uh, well, I definitely have had a few patients. I mean, it's the sample size is fairly small, like in terms of the ones that have had COVID and have done worse. Sure, But I definitely have had some where they said that, um, yeah, the low energy and the brain fog, and then like worsening of depression and anxiety. You know, I've right. seen that with, with several patients. And, um, and then there's, you know, like I've had a few that have had like the long hauler, you know, where they just tend to kind of like be really tired and struggle and have uh-huh. some okay. kinds of issues. Yeah.
1: Is there anything unique that you recommend for those types of patients or is it kind of more of the same of what you normally recommend for patients with depression and low energy and those sorts of things? Or is there something unique with, with COVID patients that you've found?
0: Well, yeah, nothing super unique, just because we just it's so new, and we don't yeah. know quite how to approach it. But I, I definitely feel like good nutrition is important. You know, And though even even though it may be hard to exercise or, you know, um, to breathe good, you know, so you can exercise. But yeah, definitely, I think it's important to increase activity as, as they're able to. Sure. And then, you know, for sure, you know, better nutrition. I mean, I, I'm like a broken record on the nutrition side and the exercise yeah. side and the sleep side of things with people. Just that's great. I just feel like, yeah, it's so important, especially when you're dealing with like a virus like this, it's causing damage to cells throughout your body. Yeah. Like, yeah, you just, you, you definitely need, you know, the, the really good self-care to be able to recover.
1: When And you've mentioned nutrition a few times now. Are there specific things that, that you recommend or is it basically, you know, kind of what we all already kind of know of having a good diet, you know, not overdoing, you know, sugars. I think in America, we have a lot of sugar out there. Um, like what kinds of things do you typically recommend when you talk about good nutrition?
0: Yeah, it's essentially, it's just like maybe be careful in the center section of the grocery store, you know, that's where like highly <laughs> processed foods are and the foods okay. that are you know, pretty addictive. And yeah, I, I actually just like the USDA food plate. You know, there's all kinds of diets out there, but the USDA food plate, I think, is really simple. Yeah. You know, it's essentially just keeping your carbohydrates reasonable, like about a fourth of your plate carbohydrate, a fourth of your plate protein, and half your plate, um, you know, fruits and vegetables. Okay. And it seems like it's like super simple, but um, very yeah, difficult do for it. people to implement. Yeah,
1: so, exactly. Think- we don't do it. I don't know if it's because we're, we live a rushed life you know we like fast food and we like convenience and i don't you know i don't know what it is
0: yeah well i think it's also we're just up against the addictive properties you know like i i ah. think that you know when you've got food scientists that are creating things and they've got you know panels and they've got taste yeah. testing and and they refine things over the years i mean it gets to the point where the some of those foods really stimulate that reward center in your brain and ah. And it gets to the point where like almost anything that's like a little more healthy probably doesn't stimulate it to that same extent. And so you probably get less pleasure from some of the foods that are better for you.
1: Gotcha. And do you think those those things that are in those kind of addictive foods, is it the sugar? What Do you, do you have a sense of what it is in those foods that kind of increase the, that pleasure <laughs> feeling of those certain addictive foods?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's got to be like, yeah, sugar is for sure. I mean, it seems like the human body just i mean we sort of crave that you know like especially like if you eat a lot of sugar and then your you know insulin goes up and then you kind of drop low you know like in terms of your you know blood sugar right and it's like you kind of want more of that and you know and then i don't know there must be something about the combination of some sugars plus fats that that really appeals to people and taste and textures and I mean, it's just all of that just kind of combines even the bubbly stuff, you know, like and pop. I mean, I I think there's just like certain rewarding properties to it, you know, that these companies are capitalizing on so that they can make big profits.
1: Yeah, that's a great, you know, that's a great point. And I I like the way you put it. It's kind of that simple, uh, you know, food pyramid that we all learned in, you know, middle school even, I think, right, that. Uh, and kind of moderating and, and, and having healthy choices. And you've also mentioned uh, sleep a couple of times. I, again, anecdotally, personally, that makes a huge difference in my mental attitude and in my energy level is when I get an appropriate amount of sleep and kind of have good sleep hygiene, right. Where I have a a regular pattern. Do you, do you have specific recommendations for people who, whose, whose sleep hygiene is not that great?
0: Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I, it seems to me like um, if you kind of look at, I mean, traditionally, like the kinds of TV programs that have been on late at night, I mean, we've got the news and then sure. you've got all kinds of crime shows, you know, that kind of thing. And um, I don't know, like, let alone like the entertainment industry. I mean, it just seems like there's, you know, like if they want people to watch, they've got to generate a lot of emotion yeah a lot of times fear you know sometimes get people's you know heart rate up you know get give, give them adrenaline rushes, yeah, and you know, that kind of thing, but like a lot of that's skewed to late night, you know like yeah um, exactly. so and then you know video games, you know a lot of those are pretty high adrenaline activities as well, and you know and as people are doing that, plus maybe some social media which can generate all kinds of <laughs> You know like emotion yeah um and there's i mean recent you know kind of um with with facebook and the whistleblower it's just like it's clear that they they do best when they generate more negative emotion you know get people unsettled and so i think a lot of times people are you know kind of doing those kinds of activities like you know tv news you know video games you know maybe some social media things like that that just get them unsettled Ah. and then they're like you know Kind of wondering like why they can't sleep, you know. <laughs> but um, you know, like they're just like doing those activities and their heart rate's really high. And they're like, oh no, it's like I've been doing this way too long. I must be addicted to it. And then okay. I better hurry and get in bed. And so they like hurry and brush their teeth and run and get in bed. And then they're lo and behold, it's like their heart's racing and they're not sleeping very good.
1: Oh, uh, that's so insightful. You know, even I, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking, what did I do last night right before bed? I watched a show that was kind of like that. Yeah. And, and you're spot on. I, you know, with our, with our kids, we try to decrease screen time, you know, a couple hours before bed so that their eyes, we were told that, you know, just the constant looking at electronic screens right before bed can affect your ability to fall asleep quicker. Um, and so I guess I need to practice that as well.
0: Yeah, like a lot of times I'll tell the adults that I work with, that we need to treat ourselves a little bit more like we do our little kids in our society, just kind of like, you know, read them a story, you know, get them all ready for bed, you know, that kind of thing. And then, you know, like read them a story, turn the lights down, you know, like help them to feel safe and secure, you know, have, you know, some time for that wind down, you know, like, I think a little stretching is good. And, you know, just kind of letting go of the concerns of the day and make that like an active process. Yes, that's maybe a little, little meditation or whatever just helps you to feel, feel safe and secure. You know, it's like really important before you sleep. So it just kind of sets the tone for your sleep so that you'd be able to get like a little bit more restorative sleep.
1: Yeah. Hey, that's great advice. Um, let me switch gears a little bit and ask you, you know, we, we focus a little bit on compliance um, in, in these podcasts, and I'm curious what you are seeing as issues in mental health, maybe reimbursement or management, what are some roadblocks that you see, what are some risks that, that might be out there uh, for people who are practicing in mental health areas?
0: Well, I think if you're trying to do like a smaller practice, like a private practice, it's ex- extremely challenging just because um, you're up against um, like all kinds of hackers, you know, like that want to like get into your system. <laughs> yes, I mean,
1: cybersecurity.
0: Yeah, and and then you know, and then there's all these new regulations that come through and. Yeah. You know, it, when it comes to like the Medicare incentive programs, it's like they they apply a little bit more to primary care, it seems like, than to yeah. mental health, and so it's like a little hard to translate. So, um, you know, during COVID, we found that we were doing a lot of telemedicine. Yeah. And because of that, um, we were like, oh, we need to do something. And I was also just concerned because I was I was the IT guy in the office, just you know, hosting a server. Right. We had a local network, and then I was just hearing about these bigger, you know, like healthcare organizations that were getting hacked into, and yep. you know, with phishing, you know, yep. scams and things like that. And um, and then the ransomware where they're just like their data is held hostage, and they go, you know, yes. months, you know, without being able to get to any of their records. And for me, that was like that was getting in the way of my sleep, you know. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. So anyways, I was like, all right, so I we decided to, to transfer to a different program, like a different software Gotcha. and like more of a cloud-based, you know, like EHR program. Yes. Yep. And, and so th- I think that's helped a bit, you know, just so that I'm like, all right, well, I've got, you know, like someone that's like, you know, hopefully watching over our data at night or whatever, and they've got it's like the systems life. in place and that kind of thing. So I think that's helped a little bit in that regard, but, you know, it's still difficult, you know. When it comes to like the incentive pay from Medicare, we've like I tried initially to just like because we were we were using you know the electronic medical record and everything. It seemed like we were doing everything we should, but then it was just so complicated, you know, trying to get through that process of getting the reimbursement. So then it was just like, well, I'll just take the hit, you know. Because it's either you pay a lot of money to try and kind of get through that process or right. you can just take the hit. And for us, with the percentage of Medicare we had, it was like, oh. We'll
1: yeah, come. if you if you don't have that critical mass where it kind of makes sense to kind of invest in kind of going full bore, you know, on those incentives, um, I can see what you're saying for sure.
0: Yeah, but we're trying to like still do what we're supposed to do, you know, sure. like be really good with HIPAA privacy and you know, trying to you know secure our data as good as we can. Um, it is just like you're, you know, like a little person in this big world, and <laughs> and it's just getting so increasingly sophisticated all the time that it's like really hard to keep up with it all. It is. You know, like as far as your threats are just getting more sophisticated, and it seems like some of these uh, regulations and um, you know the you know the things that are coming from Medicare are getting a little more complicated as time goes by, and so. So it's a little bit of a challenge.
1: Yeah. And I think, as you mentioned, um, you know, it um, for smaller practices that can have a real impact. Right. So like if you're a really huge practice, you know, you might be able to employ somebody full time. But smaller practices, it's like you're doing things yourself and you're trying to balance your how much time and, and money do I spend on this? I want to do the right things. But, you know, you can't bankrupt your, your practice. To, to make everything you know hundred percent foolproof and all that and and that can be hard,
0: yeah, yeah, for sure, so that's why I think it's good that there's people like you that are you know out there trying to educate people and help out because it's just like so complicated,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly um, well that's that's really interesting, um one other thing I wanted to ask is um you know what have you heard of? What are your thoughts on mental health parity laws? One of the, the reason I asked this is I recently saw a settlement in the state of New York, where the Attorney General in New York, um, they ended up suing United Healthcare, and United Healthcare I paid I think fourteen or seventeen million dollars in that ballpark because they were not. Um, they were denying mental health services inappropriately, and this is a private insurer, right? It's United Healthcare. Yeah, um, and they or they weren't um, meeting those parity laws. And, you know, we all, you know, years ago these parity laws came out, and I don't know if it had any effect on people. And this is, I think, one of the first lawsuits that I've seen where the state went went against an insurance company because beneficiaries were denied mental health services, um, and that's kind of a win, I think. Have you? Seeing these mental health parity laws uh, work, you know, are you, are you still running into insurance companies that just aren't going to pay or they, they cut, uh, you know, visits short, like you can only have four visits instead of 10 or something? What, What, what are you seeing?
0: I think for the most part, it's been good. I mean, I I remember when I first went into practice, I think I started like 17 years ago, something like that. And we were having to do like all kinds of like treatment plans and getting, you know, like authorizations from insurance companies for like a certain number of visits. And, and maybe they give us like three visits at the most. And, um, And then we'd have to apply for more. And so it's just like an administrative nightmare just trying to get visits approved. Right. But then after the parity laws were passed, then it turned into like, you know, better situation. And so like, especially as we do like an E and M code or something like that, and then we add on like the therapy code, it's, it seems like it's been covered pretty well. Good. Once in a while there are some issues like I'll have patients where if they're like seeing a therapist separately and then they're seeing me right then they have to be like really judicious about like how they're doing their visits for the year yep and so then they'll be like well I probably do need to see you more often but because I'm doing the therapy too and you know and I and I can only do a certain number of visits there then I have to be a little bit more careful and so then we'll just squeeze as much as we can into each visit and, you know, try and, you know, kind of be as efficient as possible yeah. and then do some phone calls in between to kind of help them through. So there's a little bit of that, but it's yeah. in general, it's been much better.
1: That's good. OK, good. I'm glad to hear that. I know that was the, the goal in a lot of those laws. I wasn't sure if, you know, on the on the front lines, if you were seeing that. And so that that's kind of good news. Um, well you know these these podcasts go so quickly, our time is coming close to an end, but i wanna you know save a few minutes and see if you have any last minute thoughts or um or comments about uh the things we've talked about or maybe something that we i uh, didn't raise um I'd like to give you kind of the the last say here on uh for a couple of minutes or or two if you have anything
0: oh yeah i mean i i don't know i I guess the one other thing I was thinking about is just yeah, we kind of this society that we live in it seems like people are going for like a quick fix, you know, like, if you can imagine, I mean, I mean, everything's like about like, you know, they want things delivered to their door, you know, Um, you know, I had one patient that was kind of struggling with their diet and, you know, trying to kind of eat a little bit more healthy. But in in some weak moments, they've ordered, you know, candy from DoorDash, you know, so it's just like a bunch of candy from, you know, like the Store just comes to their door, you know, that kind of thing. It's so easy to get. Yeah, it's so easy to get. And then I think that when they're approaching the mental health, you know, they want it to be like, you know, sort of, I'll do this and then I'll get better, you know, quick. And then, you know, they want, you know, almost like a snake oil, you know, like yeah, something to just kind of fix them quick. and and I don't know. I just, and I tend to be a little bit more kind of oriented toward the traditional, like we need to work on our, you know, like all those things that we mentioned, like the self-care things and then your thoughts and, yeah, you know, spend the time doing some therapy and work on your connections, make sure you're doing better. And with the medicine, we can use medicine, but then the ones that seem to work the best take a little while to kick in and, and they rely on you doing the other things too. And, yeah. So I kind of feel like yeah, change in people just it, it takes time and it's slow and it's it's that kind of a process. But I yeah. think even within you know psychiatry, we're seeing a little bit more of that, like oh, do this and you'll know, get immediate results and that kind of thing. And and so I think we just have to kind of wait a little bit and watch out, you know, for some of that. I we'll, we'll see. I mean, because there's like ketamine and people are using cannabis increasingly for mental health. Yeah. And um, you know. Ooh psychedelic mushrooms and other psychedelics and and um, and then it's you know there's all kinds of different things that are people are trying you know and um, and so anyways I think we'll just have to wait and see you know like if there are such things as you know quick fixes or if you still have to do the hard work my my inclination is like oh yeah I think we do still have to do the hard work.
1: Yeah it, it seems like just from like a, a common sense standpoint that it that that hard work is is kind of going to be more lasting. Um, but that is interesting what you mentioned about some of these other things, um, cannabis, ketamine, psychedelics. I've heard that a lot as well. Is there any or is the jury still out on those? Is there any evidence yet, clinical trials or studies that have shown promising results in any of those things?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, the FDA did approve Sprivato, which is like an inhaled form of ketamine, Okay. And that's based on some research that it can have, you know, pretty quick, you know, positive effects in terms of depression. Um, the, the only issue is just that it doesn't seem to be sustained. I mean, like right. for some people, it works for you know, a few weeks or maybe a month. But it seems like over time, it just kind of lasts for a shorter and shorter period of time. I see where it's helpful. And then, you know, I I think we're just kind of back to, I mean, like ECT was like, you know, electric, right. Electro convulsive therapy was, you know, like, um, the most effective thing. And it still is probably the most effective thing that we have. But even with that, it's like, yeah, if you don't have medicines, that will help you. And you aren't doing some therapy and things like that. It doesn't seem to sustain you. Yeah. And, um, but I think the same thing's going to be true with some of these other, you know, substances that, you know, in the past were, you know, prohibited for these kinds of uses. I think that um, just because they're, you know, controlled and, you know, and, um, but, but I think that now they're, they're finding, well, you know, maybe there is some benefit, maybe a little bit of a reset from it. So there could be some efficacy that way. Yeah, okay. some people are doing um, some of these substances to kind of like aid in psychotherapy and we'll see, you know, kind of where that goes. But it's like there's kind of like a, a lot of, you know, kind of movement on it, you know, but sure. then the research is still lagging. Yep. And so I, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, oh, I'm, maybe I'm so old fashioned. I don't know. Like <laughs> I, I struggle with you know, some of the things on you know the media right. and social media. And now I'm struggling a little bit with some of the use of these, you know, substances that before were prohibited. And now it's just like, you know, we're just going to do some research and see if it works, you know?
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's almost like, so it sounds like the the long-term jury is still out, right? Like whether those are going to have long-term uh, benefits or if you, you need to combine those, if at all, if they're helpful at all with kind of the, the standard, right? Which is, you know, good mental hygiene. And um, like you're talking about, yeah psychotherapy and learning you know if we think it because some of us think wrong right like that that contributes to certain mental health issues if, if you um aren't thinking the right way right
0: yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah
1: and you kind of have to solve those things long term for you to have kind of a long-term uh success is is kind of what i'm hearing you say
0: yeah yeah and i think just gotta be patient and persistent and keep the hope alive like while you're trying to work through things you know so.
1: Yeah. Well, Dave, this has been really, really interesting. Really appreciate your expertise and you taking some time to, to talk to us a little bit about uh, mental health and the importance of, of, um, of mental health in our lives and, and how, to, how to take care of ourselves. Really appreciate your time.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. It's been great to join you and thanks for inviting me.
1: Yeah. Well, everybody, thanks for listening um, to another uh, episode and uh, until next time, We'll we'll see you in our next episode. Take care, everyone. Compliance Conversations is sponsored
0: by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.